You're listening to Water in Real Life Podcast, Episode 12, The Water Nerd's Guide to Storytelling, with yours truly, the H2 Duo. This is Greg Lukash from the San Antonio Water System. Hey, need a brain explosion today? Hang on as you're about to be blown away listening to Water in Real Life with the H2 Duo. We're dedicated to sharing stories that demonstrate how communication and collaboration move things forward. If you want to overcome your challenges, then you have to build relationships. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or resource to give you the tools to curate connections with your customers that create impact. Hey, so before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a new way to take notes. If you're anything like us, you have a ton of journals full of notes, but no real method to the madness. Our friend Ryan Beltram from episode five told us about the Rocketbook Smart Notebook. It instantly connects and stores your notes, your doodles, lists in the cloud with a free smart notebook app. So if you want to get your own Rocketbook smart notebook, use the code from the future, no spaces, and get 10% off your order. You can find the link to Rocketbook in our show notes at the h2duo.com forward slash 12. Hey y'all, so today is another solo show where we're going to discuss the science behind storytelling. And storytelling has become sort of a buzzword um, that's even permeating the water industry conferences. And for some, it can conjure up memories of having a story read to you at bedtime, but it is not to be mocked or to be thought of as fluff. Um, We're here to give you some legit cognitive neuroscience that backs up the way The human mind is actually hardwired to not only respond to, but actually better retain information through when it's told to you through stories. So we gave a presentation about this at the North Central Texas section of the American Waterworks Association, their monthly meeting on the science behind storytelling. And we have turned it into a podcast episode for your listening pleasure. We're going to discuss why we need to reframe the way we handle communication in the water industry, some of the story, um, some of the science behind storytelling, and also some of the things that you can keep in mind as you're crafting your own stories. So without further ado, let's get to the show. So first of all, I'm totally excited about this being our second solo show. Most importantly, I am pumped about releasing our first water nerds guide we will be um, releasing bits and pieces of that as we go along so i am pumped to get that going Um, so first let's just get jump right into it and get started in the intro stephanie you mentioned about reframing our conversations why do we need to reframe the way we handle communication I just want to put it out there that Ariane is actually more excited than what she sounds like. (laughs) I just want to tell you guys how excited I am. (laughs) Hey, guys, I just wanted to tell you about how excited I am about the release of the Water Nerds Guide and how this is our second solo show. Okay, is that better? Yes, it gets me more pumped. Oh, sorry. Okay, so there's two major reasons why we as an industry need to be reframing the way that we handle communications. And number one is the expectations of our customer have changed. There's no longer the ability for us to just kind of sit in the background and not say anything, not really worry what anyone's uh, saying about us. We're doing such a great job. No one needs to hear about what's going on and what we're doing. That's We don't really have that 
ability to do that anymore. They're expecting the same things from us as they're expecting from every other utility that they have contact with, whether it be the electric utility or the gas utility or their uh, communication provider. You know, when they can get on Twitter and tweet and find out uh, about outages or when they can get immediate response back when they're when they're having an issue or customer service or these are all things that they're getting from the other public uh, public utilities and so they don't see us in as, as any different and so that whole expectation is changing and we need to be able to accommodate that and another reason why is because it's just it's one of the top challenges facing our industry. Every year, AWWA, um, American Water Works Association, puts out this State of the Water Industry Report. And for the past several years, several of the items that are listed as the top challenges are directly related to the, um, the industry's lack of communication. And the two things that made the top five list this past year were the public's complete lack of understanding of water providers and the services that they provide, where their source of water is, and and the value of those. And those were two things that made the top five lists. And while those are two that very explicitly are, are related to communication, there's several others on there that we believe are also related to communication, specifically looking at number one and two, which are talking about the renewal and replacement of aging infrastructure and then the financing uh, for those capital improvements, where we kind of believe that communication is the Occam's razor of the industry. So Occam's razor is basically um, all things being equal, the simplest answer is typically the solution. And so there are a lot of innovation tech and technology things and, and other funding resources and alternatives and grants and WIFIA and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, we believe that if we were just communicating better to begin with and doing a better job at conveying the value of from source to treatment plant to every single person out there in the field, every single test that's being done to ensure public health, maintaining that infrastructure, the wastewater side of it, if we were doing a better job at telling the full story and communicating that because people just don't know and they just don't understand that they might be more willing to put more funding and to invest more in the infrastructure. It might reach the top of that priority list. Yeah, it's really more of more than just a buzzword these days. Um, we love that we're seeing and hearing storytelling pop up at all the conferences that we've been going to. And, I mean, even back in 2016 at the North Central Texas Water Conservation Symposium, Greg Wukash, our mentor that we've talked about a few times, presented on the art of storytelling. Episode and, three. Yeah, episode three. The art of storytelling and how we, uh, they use it at SAWS. Um, but why? What does that mean? What are, why are stories so powerful? Yeah, I was really excited when they took us up on our – hey, you guys really need to get Greg to come speak um, because I think he did a fantastic job at conveying sort of what it takes and using themselves as a case study of how they've been able to use storytelling to reframe the way their customers see them. Um, but I was also happy to see that this also showed up at the, uh, the symposium in 2017 
at the end of the symposium, they had uh, these kind of TED Talk-esque um, sessions that they called Water Talks. And one of those was by a woman named Rebecca Carlisle, who works for a company called Story Stage. And her presentation was on the power of storytelling. And she she told us the story of Okay, there's when your brain is hearing facts and figures, imagine this was right around the time when um, Hurricane Harvey had hit. So she was telling a story of how imagine that you were in the audience of a presentation and it's a PowerPoint presentation. There's a lots of facts and figures up on the up on the screen and you're reading all of these. There were a lot of incredibly terrible stats that came out of those in terms of the people that were impacted and the damage and your your auditory content cortex of your brain is lighting up because you're hearing sound and the Wernicke area of your brain is lighting up because you're listening to you're hearing words but then she said compare that to when you're hearing a story from someone who actually went through it and experienced it and you're hearing the story of a woman whose family's house was the whole first floor of it was filled with water and that they had to get into this ice cold water and swim up to the roof and wait while until they were rescued in a boat and and what it felt like how cold the water was and how it felt when they were swimming from the roof to the boat and the parts of your brain that handle movement in your body, uh, those begin to light up. And the parts of your brain that handle uh, the way your body, body responds to temperature and to emotion, all of those all of those areas of your brain light up in, in addition to those other areas of when you're just hearing facts and figures. And you in turn be able, you in turn begin to experience the situation as if you yourself were there. And that not only gives the story more impact, but it also makes it much more memorable because in her case, it was a story that she herself heard and she was so moved by it that by the next day or the next weekend, they're in their kitchen putting together care packages to send to the people down uh, in Houston. And so it just really spoke to the power of story and how different it is just from facts and figures alone. And uh, there is a stat put out by Stanford Graduate School of Business who have done research on storytelling that stories are actually 22 times more memorable than facts or figures alone. Okay, well, let's keep going. Let's talk more about the science. So one of uh, the people that I've really liked reading more from is someone named Kendall Haven. He's kind of one of the lead researchers out there um, in terms of storytelling. And he talks about this thing called the, the neural story net. And basically what that is, it's the part of the brain that fills in the gaps, that makes connections when there's missing information. And these connections are obviously not always correct because every person's experiences and perceptions are different, and so they're going to fill in those gaps based on those perceptions and those past experiences. So kind of the example that really struck out for me when talking about that was 
when we came when in North Texas, we had been in a drought for several years. Everybody was in drought restrictions and watering restrictions. And we came out of the drought and in many cases cities were lifting those watering restrictions uh, those for irrig- outdoor irrigation. And so people started watering again and watering often because they'd had, you know, brownish grass for the past three or however many years. And so, yay, they get to have green grass again. And But then when those water bills came in, it was uh, – it was taking them by shock. They were a little mind blown. Like, how could my water bill be this high? It hasn't been this high in years. And and because we hadn't been as proactive as we should have been in terms of, you know, just saying, hey, guys, we've been in a drought for three years. Restrictions have been lifted. You may be watering more. Keep in mind that this is going to have an impact on your your water bills and in some cases during this multi-year drought cities had actually changed the structure of their rate systems so now if you were using more water you were moving to a tier that was paying for more water so there wasn't an really enough proactivity done to to let people to get that in to get that information out there that they could fill in with those gaps and so for them it they were filling it in themselves and so it was easier of a stretch for them to say oh well there must be some sort of conspiracy with every city in north texas there must be some sort of algorithm that the cities are using to you know for to skew our bills or force more water through our meters and it and those things are anyone who knows anything about the way utilities work and how our systems are and how they're designed yeah yeah that's, that's not, it's that's, that's not even feasible that's a bit of science fiction to think that that could happen but that was more feasible to them mm-hmm. than the idea of just having used more water and therefore paying more for it so we just really be need to be cognizant of that and to remember to tell the whole story and from the audience's perspective to remember to tell it from what's going to mean the most to them don't let them fill in the gaps um and also just don't make it too difficult to understand. Um, if they their ability to understand it is going to directly impact our ability to influence their attitudes, beliefs, behaviors. And if the story is too disjointed, if it doesn't make sense, if it's difficult to understand, the brain just disengages entirely. Like the brain's like, ain't got time for that. And um, if a story is complex, then break it down and, and make it more understandable. And remember that there's no silver bullet story either. And what I mean by that is don't, you can't walk into a communicator's office and be like, hey, I want you to do this social media post that's going to go viral. Like that's when things go viral, a lot of times it's, it's, it's kind of like a freak of nature type thing. Like it's really hard to predict the things that – are gonna go viral when or how you want them to Mm -hmm. and so don't use don't use that as your your measure for success you know remember that the story is just the beginning of the conversation and that consistency wins the day uh kendall haven has said that you know engagement doesn't guarantee influence but it it makes it possible it's the first step so i know that um our brains have this make sense mandate can you tell me more about that yeah the make sense mandate is basically the filter that your brain runs everything 
through that, you know, what does this have to do with me? What does this story have to do with me? We are bombarded by 5,000 plus messages a day. We're constantly, especially with social media, especially with technology, we are always on. We are always being influenced or affected by some kind of distraction or some kind of message. And so the brain is on full alert all the time figuring out, okay, I can't remember 5,000 things. What are the most important things? What are the things that have the most to do with me so that I know what I need to store away in the file and keep and remember? So the way that our story is presented and how that question of what does this have to do with me is answered determines whether people accept it or outright reject what we're telling them. Yeah, it's always remem- it's always good to remember who your audience is. Um, that the story isn't for you; it's for your customers. It's for them. It's not necessarily for council or um, city management. It's for the end uh, user, the the customers. Yes, I forgot where I was going with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, to get into a little bit of kind of the delivery of stories, um, there's four major concepts that are related to kind of the best. Oh, that was my segue. Oh. So tell me about, you know, the end user. How do we deliver to the end user? Well, I'll tell you, Ariane, there's actually four (laughs) concepts that are (laughs) essential to the most effective delivery of your story. And the first one is engagement. And this is really kind of more related to when you're delivering a story in person or presenting to council or presenting at a meeting. Um, These are the things like the use of pauses. You like that? That was, that was a dramatic pause. Okay, sorry. So your use of pauses, the tone of voice. I thought I did something wrong for a second. <laughs> you did. I was I was looking over your shoulder at what you were texting. Um, <laughs> your use of pauses, the tone of your voice, your hand gestures. I always wondered, when I read that, I wondered, oh, God, what are people thinking about my stories? Because I'm, I'm very, very handy. <laughs> Hands on. Handsy. Like, Hands on storytelling. I am full body presenter. Um, I like to break into dance and also to break dance, although I'm terrible at it. I'm not as good as George Hawkins. Um, so those are kind of like how you're actually physically engaging with your audience. And then there's transportation. And this is really like how are you transporting your audience into the story? So at Catalyst, I loved how Lynn Christopher from Saws Uh, San Antonio water system had pebbles, physical pebbles, because she was talking about being a pebble and creating this ripple effect. And it was really brought it home and made you focus and think about it because you had this physical pebble in your hand that you could hold as she was telling this. And transportation is also about building trust, building trust between uh, the story, the person who's telling it and, and the narrative that they're telling. There's a, then there's relevance, which goes back to the whole make sense mandate. How is this relevant to your audience? How is this, um, is it going to make it through the filter? And then finally, influence. And influence is pretty obvious, but remembering that we aren't just trying to change people's behavior. We're also trying to influence their attitudes, their beliefs, the knowledge that they have, because 
those are the things that really give your message staying power. Okay, so you communicate or educate them about water to get them to behave in this certain way on this one certain matter, but making sure that your story has the staying power to influence the next issue that comes up or what they do during the next drought or when we come out of the next drought and um, remembering that it's more than just behavior. And to also keep in mind that don't come in hot and be like, you know, you're wrong. You're wrong. I'm correcting you. The, the idea is to basically reframe their perspective through your story and to really give them the context in order to be able to see things differently. Okay, so just to recap, that's um, four major concepts, engagement, transportation, relevance, and influence. That's awesome. I went with um, TRI, T-R-I-E, as Ooh. my acronym, or RITE, R-I-T-E. Okay. Um, but when we, come, we're, when we come back, we're going to get some other takeaways. Um, but first, a word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash water in real life and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash forward slash water in real life. Welcome back. So we know the science behind storytelling. Now what? What are some of the strategies of how to tell a good story? So readability is key. And readability is more than, it's, it's not dumbing things down. It may seem like that on the surface, but it's, it's kind of really more than that. It's just, it's making things easier to understand and more, more enjoyable, actually. So it kind of makes me think of the story of when I was in graduate school and I was taking classes like environmental chemistry and I was reading all of these very scientific, technical, um, just deep articles uh, in order to, to graduate. And I'm usually a pretty voracious story uh, a book reader. And so I was noticing that I just, I wasn't reading anymore, you know, grad school was two years and I was also kind of busy, but I was just, that's kind of a hobby of mine. And I was commiserating or just maybe outright complaining to my friend Melanie one day on the phone and was like, oh, I'm kind of bummed that I just, I don't read anymore. And she said, you totally need to read the Twilight series, the Twilight series, not the Twilight Zone, the Twilight series. So um, that was all the movies were coming out at the time. It was kind of the thing. And I initially kind of wanted no part of it because I thought it was really just a teenager thing, which I guess in retrospect it kind of was. But um, so I did. I read them and they were really easy stories. And not because the writing was terrible or it was dumb. It was because it was just easy to read and it was enjoyable. And it was something that I didn't mind spending my time on, on doing. You know, sometimes people... People just need an easy read, you know. They are working hard all day. They don't want to come home and have to read some technical paper paper about the story of water. So it doesn't mean dumbing it down. It just means making it easy and making those complex topics. Kind of giving your brain a 
moment to relax. Yeah. Yeah. Like if we can get people to relax reading stuff about water, like, hello, win. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, one of the key reasons that we want to make the content that we're putting out there and the stories that we're telling readable is because poor readability actually causes frustration, irritation, suspicion. <laughs> like Those are all things that we as the water industry do not want associated with us. You know, we don't want people to feel that way about us. Um, and then just to give it, the readability is a score. And just to give some kind of mm, like sense of what good or bad is, is, you know, the higher the score, the better. So something like Time Magazine has a readability score of 52. And it's not just our industry that kind of suffers from, you know, having poor readability at times. The the Harvard Business Review also surveyed 550 business people in 2016. And as many as 81% of them said that poorly written content wasted too much of their time. So if they had to, if it was too complicated or difficult to understand or they just didn't want to have anything to do with it whatsoever. And so some of the keys to making things more readable are to use shorter sentences, um, to use shorter words. Don't use the internal jargon that we do or the big words, you know, like it's there what was it that the average uh reading level in the united states was i think eighth grade or something along there so we have to remember that our industry has a lot of very highly educated people that are used to writing high level content but we have to remember that when we're putting things out there for the the general public that we need to make it something that can meet everyone where they're at so Um, Shorter sentences, shorter words, less passive voice. Um, People's attention spans are shorter now. Like, they have less tolerance for confusion. Again, ain't nobody got time for that. And uh, there's some great tools out there for you to use. Like, readable.io is a great site to kind of learn more about what readability is. You can also put some of your content in there to be able to get your score. Uh, Microsoft Word actually has the ability to... Uh, give you a readability score on the content that you're writing in there too. And I've found uh, wordcounter.net and you literally just copy and paste your content into their their box and they give you the a breakdown of what level, college graduate level or higher or lower and then um, they'll give you word count and time of even from how to say it out loud, how to, how long it should take and then reading it you know what the time of reading it is so that's that's always good to know um people's attention spans are just so short it's crazy and um so i'm going to recap real quick um so poor readability is not good it causes frustration irritation suspicion and ways to combat all that are the shorter sentences shorter words less passive voice Um, So tell me more about, I mean, obviously visuals are key in storytelling. Um, Are we talking just any old graphic or using actual employees? Yeah, well, it's actually a bit of both because uh, using, breaking up text with visuals can, can help you kind of make things more digestible for your audience as well. And 
depending upon the platform that you're on, that could be either through a blog or through an article post, but maybe it's a video. It's kind of like look at the content that you're looking to produce and see, make a decision as to what's the best way to convey it. But people have an obsession with faces. Using faces and your contact and your content increases engagement with that content. And this kind of goes back to, again, the way that we're hardwired. So when we were babies, when we were babies, we kind of got used to the idea that when we saw a face, that usually meant something good. It meant that we were being fed. It meant that we were being held. Maybe we were getting our diaper changed. I don't know. It was it was a good thing. And so it taught us to, or I guess it um, trained our bodies to release these feel-good endorphins whenever we saw faces. And that didn't doesn't go away as we grow into adults. And so it's incredibly important to use faces in your content. Images of people, like real people, like like Arian said, your people, your employees, uh, you know, they're the face of your organization that are out there in the field with your customers every day. Help humanize them and help humanize your organization by by using them in your content, in your publications. And this also does wonders with building trust and with forging relationships with your customers. Um, when you incorporate yourself into your brand, and yes, your department, your water department is a brand, um, it actually will will help you see an increase in your engagement rates with the content that you're putting out there. That came from the uh, Digital Branding Institute is is where I learned about that. So get faces, people. <laughs> That's kind of aggressive. Get faces. <laughs> but it's hard when you're in, especially in our industry, um, it's hard to get faces, actual like faces sometimes, uh, especially with field ops guys and gals. Because they're out there on the job site, and it's all asses and elbows sometimes. <laughs> so, or something, you know, 20 feet in the ground. Or I want or, you all to think of, like, the last picture you took of a job site. It's, it's literally all asses and or elbows. Or it's all tops of hard hats, yep. you know. And so um, you, it's hard to make that happen, but it's really, it really does make a difference for the person who's you know, the customers at the end of the day, um, the person who are getting these posts or these publications, whatever. Um, and, you know, your staff, they're probably going to complain in the beginning. Um, you know, one really wants to be in the limelight, um, especially when they're 20 feet in a hole. But um, if you, we found that if you just kind of explain why you're doing what you're doing, um, in preferably before they're actually in the hole, um, you know, start out explaining what what you're going to start doing in the future, and and you'll see me running around here with a camera, or, um, you know, I was going to say a, a, a video, but like a any kind of camera, whether it's stills or video, yeah. And and just explain what you're doing, and you know, once they once you start earning that trust from them, they'll start you know understanding, and and they'll be more receptive to it. Yeah, you don't want to come in hot to the main break. I mean, you can come in hot to a main break and get some cool, like, actual yeah. live footage. but Or not live, but, you know, just things that you can use as B-roll in the future. But, I mean, don't come in hot, like, expecting them to stop what they're doing and excuse pose me, for you. Excuse me. You're, you're, yeah. you're fixing that. 
that sewer repair. I know how important that is, but can you just come over here and like pose? But don't touch me. Like keep your hands here. Oh, put your hands there. Put your shovel there. Stand like this. Smile. Yeah. yeah. That won't go over well. That shovel might be on your face. <laughs> yeah. You can't expect to have like a photo shoot on the spot. Um, time it out. And, and like Ariane said, make sure that you do that work ahead of time. So they know you're coming and it's not a surprise. So, um, but yes, use those faces. An image with a human face gets 38% more engagement than those images that don't include a face. Make sure that when you're posting on social media that it's not just it's not just this deluge of information. Pooh, we have a an irrigation program. Pooh, we here's a rain barrel. Pooh, here's a conservation fact. Like remember, like don't just shove information down people's throats make it personal make a third of your pictures that you put out on social of your employees of your people humanize them we are not just this brick building or concrete building we are an organization of people and the people in our organizations are our greatest assets so don't forget to shed some some much deserved light on them um, and using and use visuals to make information more relatable. So that kind of goes to when I initially said, think of your content and what's going to be the best way to convey that content. Is it a photo? Is it an infographic? How can I change it up? How can I mix it up? Is it a video? I mean, I think about Ryan Beltran and I think about his electrocoagulation open source technology project in Alequa that he has and. I couldn't effectively or articulative, articulately, art, can't even say articulately, <laughs> um, tell you or explain to you what electrocoagulation is, but I know that I have a basic understanding of it because he made this fantastic video that tells his story and why he's doing it and explains the technology. And that's something that if I had never seen that video, I would never have been able to have grasped it. So if you have something that's really technical, that's really complicated to understand, invest in making a video about it and making it simpler so that people understand. So, And tell the whole story. Don't let people fill in the gaps. And tell it in a lot of places. Remember that as a water provider your audience is everyone and everyone gets their information in different places and different ways so make sure that you're putting it out in different ways to your organization um, and tell it until you're blue in the face and then keep telling it because no matter how sick of your information you are there are people out there who are really only hearing it for the first time so stay consistent See a project through, repurpose your content. Like, don't get overstressed with the fact of, like, how am I going to fill this content calendar for this week, this month, this year, this quarter? Just look at everything you've done and repurpose it. Like, anything that you put out in your water quality report or your annual report, see how you can repurpose that for a video, for an article, for a blog post, for social media posts, for an infographic. Just Get creative on how you can repurpose those things. See everything as a campaign, not just a single serving piece of content. And we know what you're thinking. Um, you know, it's not, you don't have to stress over it. It doesn't have to be, you know, a 32-page document. Actually, my mom uh, called me today and said, 
you know, she was she received her water quality report, and it was a two-page or one-page black and white. She said, I'll be honest, I, I didn't even care about reading it because it was just in charts and columns and words I didn't understand. And she was a little sad that not everybody in water utilities creates magazines or, you know, something a little bit more engaging for her to read. So she threw it away. And I was like, oh, man, can you at least, like, just give them give them a solid like glance over yeah. you know but it, it can be just know that it doesn't have to be a 32 page document but it doesn't have to be a two page black and white front and back you know or or she said how they get her attention on important notices is they change the page color and i know that's that's some way of doing it but it can you can also take it a little bit more above and beyond and you don't have to be funny. You don't have to be um, something that you're not. Um, well, but it's to, okay to go ahead. You have to remember, too, that you're going to have people who there's, – there's people who are going to complain about anything. And so be prepared that you may have someone call and upset that you put out this full-color document. But in the reality, in the way of – Printing is has become so much more efficient now that whether you have one color, black and white, two colors, a whole full page thing, typically the color, the change in price is going to be pretty nominal. The reason that water quality reports cost so much is really postage because you have to send it to every single one of your of your customers if you're gonna send it yeah yeah if you're gonna send it out like that if ways to think outside the box and do you know websites and um, go digital with it they have all kinds of great um feet you know cloud-based um websites like issue and there's several of them that can you can create a digital pamphlet or book or magazine and, and put it on there and then you know send out links to that so i mean there's ways to think outside the box and get creative with that yeah and so just use this as some tidbits to think and i know that a lot of this is going to be kind of preaching to the choir for the people that are already have drank the kool-aid of storytelling and are educators and communicators but really the point of this is i wanted to give you some hardcore evidence and facts of how you can prove your case to the naysayers and maybe just like forward this you know walk in and say i'm just going to leave this right here and to the gatekeepers or to naysayers and say, you know, there is legit science that backs up this strategy that I have. So just seize the day, think outside the box, and start with your story. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can find the show notes at theh2duo.com slash water in real life, where we have all the resources mentioned in this episode and much more. We're incredibly passionate about being a resource for the industry, and we can only do that with your help. So show us some love by simply subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes so we can become the only do-a-run show about water. Get us a little bit of shelf space on that iTunes homepage. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore H2Duo. Be sure to give us a comment, feedback, shout out. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you learned something new, got a little inspired, and most importantly, took action on something today that will move you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. <laughs>